Brother, as a blessing, I go to so many meetings like this, and I'm compelled at lunch or in the evening to tell the pastor, I said, that man you had preaching, he's a Calvinist. And the, and the pastor said, oh, no, no, I know him, he's not a Calvinist. And the trouble is, the pastors don't know the Bible well enough to know when their church is being infiltrated. And Calvinism is, it is this lazy generation's excuse for their lack of results. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a damnable heresy, and it needs to be rejected, needs to be fought against. I always thought it funny, Calvinists uh, think God's already decided who's going to get saved and who's not, but they're all concerned about the next election. <laughs> Why do you want me to be involved in politics if God's already written, written everything out, and uh, so he knows who's going to go to heaven, but he doesn't know who's going to go to Congress? That's a strange thing. But anyway. Thank you for that, brother. I uh, agree, agree with you entirely. What a, what a farce to send missionaries to third world countries to suffer to tell people about Christ if it doesn't matter. That doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. So anyway, that was, that was great. Thank you. And uh, brother Rudolph, that was really good on Hosea. I appreciated that uh, about taking his wife back and all. Was that what you preach? Uh, no. <laughs> All right, Song of Solomon, chapter 4. Appreciate Brother Rudolph and the work he's doing down there in that in the city. Song of Solomon, chapter 4. I've taught through every book of the Bible verse by verse. The last one I taught was Song of Solomon because my mother was in our church. And Song of Solomon, verse by verse, with your mom sitting there looking at you can be really awkward. Song of Solomon, chapter 4. I got to this verse and, and was absolutely stumped because you can teach Song of Solomon as a, as a man in love with his wife and as uh, God the Father in love with the nation of Israel and Jesus Christ in love with his church. And yet in all of those applications, Song of Solomon 4, 7 just didn't work. Thou art all fair, my love, there is no spot in thee. And, and you can say that on Valentine's Day if you want to, or, or you know, when you're in trouble and you, and you buy the nice card and the flowers and all that. But, but factually, it's in the Bible. Factually, there's, there, Solomon could not say to any of his multitude of wives and concubines, all fair, no spot in thee. God the Father could speak. You know, in, in, in grace and say that I've not beheld iniquity in, in Israel, but he couldn't factually say there's no spot. And for Jesus Christ to look at his church, uh, he's not seeing what we're seeing. If he, if he made that statement, he couldn't make that statement. And so I was puzzled. How, how is this that, that the bridegroom could say to the bride, thou art all fair? There is no spot in thee. And so I thought, well, I'll run spots in the Bible and, and see where it takes me. And, and I couldn't run spots in the Bible without running blemishes because blemishes and spots are, are tied together in Scripture. And so in preparation for lunch, we're going to do a quick run through the Bible and look at blemishes and spots. Doesn't that sound uh, appealing? Uh, and I hope it will be a blessing to you. It was to me. If it's not, there's several more preachers this week, and they can uh, get you back on track. Exodus chapter number 12, Exodus 12 and Leviticus chapter 1. We're going to turn a number of references here this morning. Exodus chapter 12 and Leviticus chapter 1, a little Bible study and a Bible conference.
You know Exodus 12, this is uh, the, the night of the first Passover. And the Lord is going to come through the land and smite the firstborn in every house where he does not see the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost. But not just any lamb, not just any blood of any lamb. The Bible says in in Exodus chapter number 12 and verse number 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Without blemish, a male of the first year. God didn't want a lamb. He wanted an unblemished lamb. He didn't want junk lamb, broken lamb, diseased lamb, scurvied lamb. He wanted lamb without blemish. Now, if if it's a lamb, if it's in the first year, this blemish is not an acquired defect. It is a a, a defect that, that is part of that lamb from its arrival upon the earth. From birth, the lamb has one eye, <clears throat> maybe a crooked back, a, 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 a lame leg. The Lord says, I do not want a lamb that started life defective. It's unacceptable. Malachi uh, rebuked the leaders of the nation for bringing their junk animals to God in sacrifice. And here in this first Passover uh, uh, event, the Lord says, I want you to examine your livestock. I want you to look at all those little lambs. And I want you to find one that came into this world without blemish. In Leviticus chapter number one, similar idea. Uh, the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, ye, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation for the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering. And it should be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So the, the atonement, that's, that's equivalent. So you come to God with this bullock. And the bullock hasn't sinned. You've sinned. You put your hands on the head of the bullock. And I will accept that bullock, its death, as a substitute for your death. But if you bring me an animal as messed up as you are, I'm not taking it. If you bring me an animal as defective as you are, it can't be a substitute for you. I want you to examine that animal from, from head to tail. I want you to examine that animal from hoof to back. And I want you to make certain that it is unblemished. You're not bringing me something that came into the world with so many problems. You don't want it breeding on your farm. You don't want it adding to your herds, passing its corruption on to another. You bring me an unblemished animal. Got the picture? So these types of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of bulls and goats, didn't take away sin, but they pointed to the one final offering that would take away sin. And the Lord said, you can't point people <clears throat> to the final offering that take away sin if you're bringing me blemished animals. All right. So let's, let's just leave that sitting there. Job chapter number 11, blemish. Blemish, uh, a, a, a natural condition of imperfection. In the Bible, if you run all the references, and we'll only look at a few this morning, a spot is an acquired defect. An acquired defect. Job chapter 11. Job chapter 11 and verse number uh, 13. Job eleven thirteen. If thou prepare thine heart... 
and stretch out thine hands toward him. Now, that'd be a good thing to do, don't you think? Prepare your heart to stretch out your hands and reach for God. That's a desirable action. Verse 14, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles, for then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot. Thou shalt be steadfast and shalt not fear. So here's what the Lord says. If you're going to reach out your hands to the Lord and there's iniquity in your hands, get the iniquity out of your hands. If you're going to reach out to the Lord and there's iniquity in your tabernacle, clean out your tabernacle and then reach out to God. Now, what does he use to describe the iniquity in your hands? What does he use to describe the defilement in your tabernacle? He says, spot. You're coming to God, but you're spotted. Lord, what are these spots? There's things that I've taken into my hands that displease the Lord. Lord, what are these spots? There are things that I've taken into my home that may, that are unacceptable to God. So he describes, he describes the things that I have done with my hands that are not acceptable, that I've brought into my life, into my home that are not acceptable. He describes those as spots. They're not blemishes. I'm, because I'm blemished, I tend to, <laughs> I tend to be spotted. Spots are, are, are activities. Let me show you again. James chapter one. James chapter number one. We're going somewhere. Hey, stay, stay with me. James chapter one. Short sermon, but a long introduction. James chapter number one and verse 20. Let's see which one we need. James one, verse 26. If any man among you seem to be, be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, now watch, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That's quite a challenge, don't you think? There are spots... Job talked about spots that I have taken in my hands. I saw things that, that were inappropriate and I laid hands upon them. There are things that we have brought into our homes that we, we shouldn't listen to, we shouldn't look at, attitudes, sins, and, and those are voluntary actions. I chose to, to, to get spotted. But you know something? It's, it's really hard to keep yourself unspotted from the world. I would think that this group this morning, you would agree with me that cursing, profanity, filthy language has no place in the life of a Christian. Where are you going to work? Now, you can come to the altar tonight and say, praise God, I'm done. The preacher's right. I'm getting rid of that secular music. I'm not listening to that pop music anymore. Where are you going to shop? You say, I'm not looking at any dirty pictures ever again. You're going to have a hard time. You, you drive down the road, they're on billboards. You stop to get gasoline, people are so addicted, now they got televisions in the gas pumps. I'm telling you, this world, it just, sometimes we reach out and we get dirty, but sometimes dirt just lands on us from every direction. Isn't that a fact? You, you, you try to take you. I, I, I'm just amazed that you can sit in a restaurant with your family and two women at the table next to you are cussing like men didn't used to cuss. 
Isn't that a fact? He said, bless God, we're all for modesty. We, uh, modesty. we don't want our boys looking at naked women on the TV and the movies. Well, you can't take them out of the house. You can't take them to Walmart. So this world, it is a struggle, wouldn't you say, to keep yourself unspotted from the world? Some of it's voluntary. We reach for things. We bring things home that we shouldn't. But some of it's just landing on us. It's, it's just out there. Look at Second Peter chapter 3. I'm, I'm trying to go quickly here. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number, I think it's 14. Yeah, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, blameless. So the, the challenge, we're, we're called upon to live without spot. And yet, would you not uh, agree this morning we got some dirty places in our life? Would you not agree this morning we've got some, some, uh, some of its blemish, born, Trespasses, born in sin, conceived in iniquity. Job says they go astray from the womb speaking lies. That, that we're blemished, but we're also spotted. And so what the Bible says in, in Romans chapter number 5, let's go there. Romans 5, I'll slow down when I get to where I want to go. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12. Go with me there. Romans five twelve. Wherefore... As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Isn't that a fact? So, so everyone that arrives in this world is blemished. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam and Moses, even over them not uh, sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So everyone that comes from Adam is subject to death because of sin. Right? That's a, that's a fact. Now, now, some sin is blemish. You arrive with it, which is why babies die. Okay? You said, what did that child ever do? Adam. Adam. Blemish. Defective. Passed. And, and, then, and then everybody lived long enough. What did they do? They lived long enough to commit their own sins, their own willful, voluntary transgressions, spots. Now, now so the, the heathen... And we use heathen not as Gentiles like the Bible does. I'm talking about, you say, what about these heathen in these, in these tropical places and these jungle places and everything else? Well, they have enough light. They have enough light to know there's a God. They have enough light to know I'm accountable to that God. They have enough light to know I'm not right with that God. So what have they done throughout history? And let, let me just pause and, and, and step aside here for a minute. You understand that since the Tower of Babel, from the Tower of Babel to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus didn't talk to your forefathers. That whole Bible from Genesis 12 to Jesus Christ coming into the world is Jew, 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 unless some Gentile army comes in and wants to take Jerusalem or fight with Samson or something like that. So your ancestors, here, here's what they know about God. He kicked us out of the garden. He drowned us in a flood. He scattered us at the Tower of Babel and, and confounded our language. 
And then he took this one little group of people and put them out of the wilderness and gave them his law and his commandments and his scriptures and then told them, dress weird and eat weird and don't marry their people and they'll leave you alone. Right? So, so your ancestors, you said, well, look at these tribal people with all their strange gods and their strange religions. They're scared of the real God. That's why they worship rocks and trees and rivers and birds and things they can kind of control because the real God's terrifying. So what do they do? Volcanoes about to erupt. Typhoons about to hit the island. What would they do? They would take a virgin and offer her as a sacrifice. Why not the town drunk? Don't we want to get rid of him? Well, no, he's no good. Well, why not some old guy that's about to die anyway? Well, not him. He's lived in sin all his life. Why are they offering a virgin? Because in their heart of hearts, they're thinking she can't be as spotted as we are. But the volcano still erupts and, and the, the fire still sweeps through the village. And so next generation, what do we do? We offer Moloch our babies. Why are your heathen ancestors offering babies in sacrifice to God? Well, if a virgin wasn't good enough, maybe a baby will be good enough. You know what the problem is? You can't offer any human being in sacrifice to God to take away sin and satisfy his wrath because they're all spotted and the ones that aren't spotted are blemished. There is not an acceptable sacrifice available. So we just have to keep throwing rams out there, and I'm not being irreverent, and throwing bullocks out there, and throwing turtle doves out there, and waving grain around you. So why? Because we don't have any things fit to offer God. We don't have a sufficient sacrifice. Everybody's blemished. Everybody's spotted. Well, maybe God will take a cow. And he said he would, temporarily, for one group of people. But the rest of us just keep dying and dying and dying and dying alone in the world without hope and without God. All right, you ready for the message? Come to 1 Peter chapter 1. I read these verses a thousand times. I preached these verses hundreds of times. I've used them in witnessing for years and years and years. And until I tried to figure out... What Song of Solomon 4-7 was talking about, I never read what they said. Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, look at it, without blemish, and without spot. You see that? We, we know Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. We know God provided himself a lamb. Hallelujah. We know John the Baptist, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Isaiah 53, as a, as a sheep before a shearers is dumb, he's led as a lamb to the slaughter. But, but I, just, I just never got it. He's unblemished. He's the only human being ever born on the face of the earth that was not defective when he arrived. He's the only pure, innocent, sinless baby that any mother ever held her breast. That's amazing. 
The virgin birth is a requirement for the sacrificial offering of Jesus Christ on the cross. If he comes from Adam, he's blemished. But if he comes direct from God, you can examine him from the tip of his nose to the, <laughs> to the end of that lamb's little tail, from the bottom of its hoof all the way to the top of his back, and you can say, I find no fault in this man. Now, here's a real interesting thing, and I, I, I probably mentioned this to you before. I just like to talk about it because it blesses my heart. The night that Jesus Christ was born, and we, we, we preach about it, we teach about it. It's in our flannel graph lessons in the Sunday school. Remember flannel graph before computers? You had flannel graph. I still like flannel graphs. They're cool. Anyway, people say, well, what a shame that Joseph got to town too late and they couldn't find any room in a motel what a shame they, they, Joseph got there late and they couldn't find a house with, with any lodging in it. Do you know why Jesus Christ was born in a manger? Because he's a lamb. Do you know that the angels didn't say to carpenters, go check out the construction of the crib? You know, Jesus, you know there were fishermen in that, in that part of the country. Angels didn't appear to fishermen. You understand? There's all kinds of people living in and around Bethlehem when Jesus Christ is born. Why did the angels say to shepherds, unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, go check it out. Those shepherds went to that manger and they examined that lamb and they said, fellas, we've never seen anything like this. There's no blemish. There is no defect in that lamb whatsoever. And the host of heaven began to sing and the host of heaven began to praise God because for the first time in the history of the world, someone has been born who could actually take your place in death. Somebody has actually been born who could be your substitute. Trouble is, he's got to get all the way from the manger to the cross without sinning. Well, look what the Bible says. Read it again. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 29, I believe it is, I do always those things that please my father. There's not another human being could say that for one hour of their life. He said it for the entirety of his life. The Bible says he was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Is that not an amazing thing? He said, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. When he lifted up his hands to the Father in prayer, when he lifted up his hands to the Father on that cross, there is no spot on his face whatsoever. He's never taken sin into his hand. He's never taken sin into his heart. He's never taken sin into his home. That lamb's without spot. Pilate examined him and heard all the charges against him. Said, I find no fault in this man. Judas Iscariot, a devil selected to be one of the twelve. Come on, follow me, watch me. Judas said, I betrayed the innocent blood. The Holy Ghost of God testified. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified. Holy Ghost said, I declare him righteous. 
You know, we don't offer virgins or babies or bullocks or rams or money or water baptisms or good deeds because we found a lamb to offer in sacrifice that had no blemish when it arrived and no spot when it came to the end of its life. Jesus Christ is the human being who can shut down all other sacrifices. Praise the Lord. You could find a lamb in the pasture without blemish. You could find a bullock in the field without a blemish. You couldn't find a human being on seven continents that didn't have sin in their life. And then Jesus came. And so, so for 33 and one half years, he was examined by the Holy Ghost of God, by God the Father, by friend, by foe, by devil, by angels. And he went to that cross and God the Father accepted his sacrifice because he was without blemish and without spot. And he proved it when he raised him from the dead. That's amazing. That's why we don't preach religion. That's why we don't preach good works. That's why we don't preach do the best you can do. What's the best a blemished man can do? What's the best a spotted woman can do? Die. But here's a man. The only man who never deserved to die. The wages of sin is death. The only way he could die is to take yours. And he did. The only way he could die was to take mine, and he did. And there on that cross is not hanging a good man, one of many great prophets, a noble teacher, a really nice guy, a misunderstood revolutionary. What's hanging on that cross is the only man ever born on this earth without sin and the only man to ever live on this earth without sin. And he offered himself without spot, without blemish, to God the Father, to die in your place. You want to get saved? Go put your hands on him. Put your hand on the head of that offering and say, God, would you, would you take him instead of me? You'll take his death so I can have his life. And then God the Father says, absolutely, absolutely I will. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. So that's salvation. But I'm going to show you another passage. I've read it a thousand times. I've preached it hundreds of times. I've used it with, with limited success in marriage counseling. <laughs> and it's Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to go there with me. Ephesians chapter number 5. I'm saved. You know, the Bible says that to save people, that the Lord's going to save us to the uttermost. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, if, if Hebrews bothers you, the Bible says in Romans chapter number 5 that we are saved and we shall be saved. Look it up, Ephesians 5, 8, 9, and 10. Not now, but, but, but later. So I'm going to tell you something. I'm saved. My wife wishes I was more saved. We have a great church. Everyone in our church wishes everyone else in our church was more saved than what they are. Let me tell you what I mean. If the rapture happens this morning, or what, we're in the afternoon. If the rapture happens this afternoon, and, and I believe it could. Some of you have stopped trying to win souls and you're trying to save souls and trying to save pork and beans, but, but I'm leaving. You, you can stick around. We'll see when we get back. I really think it's overly optimistic to say, I just think we're going through the tribulation. Yeah. 
Have you read about the tribulation? Why don't you say we're going into the tribulation and die? <laughs> the chances of an air-conditioned American getting through the great tribulation are not very high. We have hurricanes in Florida. The power's out for three days and people are losing their minds. <laughs> they would take the mark just to get the electricity back on. <laughs> anyway. If the rapture happened this afternoon and I got to heaven and I had the same habits, struggles, temptations, up and down, on fire one day, cold the next day, enjoy three hours of a church service and good fellowship at the table and lose my mind when the traffic light turns yellow and the guy in front doesn't go. <laughs> you could have gone and come back. <laughs> I don't want to go to heaven and be like I am. I want to go to heaven and not be this anymore. I want you to go to heaven and, sorry, not be that anymore. I'm saved. I still got a lot of problems. How about you? I'm saved. I still got a lot of things need fixing. How about you? Some of us are just born with. Remember, remember when you're expecting your first child and you got all those books about raising kids and you were ready? And then you got a kid that wasn't in any of those books. And then you got it all figured out. And then the second, came kid, second kid came and you wondered, who's this? I've had problems since I was born. You just got to work with them. People say, you know, I can't serve God. I got this personality thing, that personality thing. Everybody's got a personality thing. And then the stuff we've done to ourselves. Preacher talking about singers and all that, and I'm thinking, man, praise the Lord. I don't know, I don't know those people, but I know some. I mean, I, I was raised on classical music, you know, folk singers, and, and you know, <laughs> early rock and roll and all, you know, classical music. Don't you have a bunch of stuff up here you wish wasn't up here? Don't you have a lot of things in here you wish weren't there? It just, it drives me crazy that I, I, I go in a store and they play in a song and I can remember all the words to the song and where I was when I first heard it and who I was with. And I'm looking at a church member who's been in our church 15 years and can't think of his name. It's crazy. I, I'm presidential material. It's a... <laughs> Say, preacher, what's your point? It's good to be saved by the finished sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But he's not finished with you. Let me show you the passage. Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 22. Well, no, let's not read that one. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a, do you know there's some ladies in every church that can't do online shopping? It's, it's the weirdest thing. They, they go to the website. And, and they, they look at all the pages, and they find what they want, and they click on it, and they put it in the cart, and then they go to the checkout page, and they, they type in all the information, and, the, and they, then they go to, it says, not, click, and, and, and then the little button comes up and says, says submit. <laughs> and, and they, they, they just get up and go for a walk. They just, they just can't, they can't, they can't. 
<laughs> Nobody in this church, but in, in other churches, there, there's ladies like that. Anyway, here's what he said. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so that the wives be their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also the church and gave himself for it. Now stop for a minute. You know why those verses are so hard? Because your saved husband isn't like Christ. You know this verse is so hard? Because your saved wife isn't like the Holy Ghost. Look, those verses so opposed in our churches, not liberal, our churches, those verses so hard to read and say, really? You know what that says? Getting saved gets me out of hell, but it didn't fix me. Come on, is that, is that fair? When you read those verses, don't they make you realize that maybe not you, but the person you're married to has got a long way to go? So, so watch what he says. Husband loves your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. I never saw this till I read that verse in Song of Solomon. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You know what Jesus, <laughs> you know what Jesus Christ is going to do in the rapture? He is going to remove every spot from your life. If you are saved, everything you ever took in your hands that you shouldn't have taken into your hands, everything that ever came into your tabernacle that shouldn't have been in your tabernacle, everything that ever caused you reluctance when you lifted up your hands to God because you knew you were spotted, he's going to take it all away. Hallelujah. He died to pay for all our sins. But we're still committing a lot of them. One day, he is going to take away every sin from your life. Every sin he's paid for will be gone. Hallelujah. Not a blessing. I'm not going to go to heaven and still be this. Everybody said, bless God, I'm going to get a new body. Never mind the new body. How about the new you? You got a glorious body like his, and it still is carrying around this junk inside. It wouldn't. That wouldn't do us much good. He's going to listen. The Bible says, "When we see him, we shall be like, be like him." But you want to make a big deal about looking like? Who cares what you look like? How about what you be like? We're gonna be like Christ. No spot. But keep reading. He's not done. But that it should be holy and without blemish. Isn't that amazing? Listen, the, the first Adam brought sin into the world. You're blemished because of Adam's sin. You're spotted because of your sin. The last Adam came at Calvary and paid for all your sin. 
When he's finished with you, he will have so completely taken away all your sin that everything you got from Adam's fall will be removed from you forever. Not just the spots gone, the blemish gone. Isn't that amazing? Let me give you a verse. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay? So some of you today are going to be tempted to sin. You, 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 walk, in, you walk in a place and, and, and there's some money sitting on the counter and there's nobody around. Why are you looking around? That's not your money. Why are you thinking I could take that? That's not a voluntary thought. It just pops into your head. There's nobody here. You could take that money. And you say, Lord, help me. I don't want to be a thief. Your Bible says I shouldn't steal. Lord, help me to, to not, not ever take money that doesn't belong to me. You know what all that is? That's you coming short of the glory of God when you're not sinning. Jesus never looked around like that. Jesus never had a thought you could steal that money. Jesus never had to pray and say, God, help me. I don't want to be a thief. Even when we are trying to do right, it's an evidence that we're not. The fact that we got to try so hard. We, look at all this preaching we need and all this praying and all this Bible study. To do what? Just not mess up. <laughs> you know what that is? Blemish. When Jesus Christ is finished with you, You'll be without spot and you'll be without blemish because the one who was without spot and without blemish is going to conform you to his image and likeness. He's going to make you what you would have been if you and Adam had never sinned. That is so much bigger than just paying for your sin. You know, we'd go to heaven and have all these problems if, if we weren't changed. But we're going to go to heaven and have no problems. Because it's going to be you when Christ is done with you. Look what he says. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, Come back where we started, Song of Solomon. Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, has finished taking all the spots, all the wrinkles, all the blemishes from his bride. And when he presents her to himself, look at Song of Solomon chapter 4 and verse 7. What can he say? Thou art all fair. My love, there is no spot in thee. How can he say that? Because he will have done what he promised to do. Every blemish, gone. Every spot, gone. He's not talking sweet talk that isn't true. He's not saying this overlooking the reality. He has made this the reality. Isn't that amazing? My, my father was on his, on his deathbed and I asked him that morning, I said, Dad, 
I know you want to see Jesus and all. I said, but, but if tonight, you, you, you'll be gone tonight. I said, what are, you, what are you looking forward to the most? He turned and looked at me. He'd, he'd never told me this in, in all, all his life. He turned and looked at me. He said, son, this is the last night I'll go to sleep seeing the faces of the men I killed in the war. You know something, every one of you that got saved as an adult, don't things bother you at night that Christ is forgiven? Don't things trouble you from a past that's under the blood? Do you know the day's coming when all those memories of all those sins and all those consequences will be gone? Everything that burdens you, that... Everything that troubles you, all your failures, all your disappointments, all the things you wish you could go back and do again, gone. Gone. Because Jesus Christ paid for them so you could be saved. But before he's through with that salvation, the things that made you do what you did will be gone. You, you will be so completely saved, it'll be truly as if sin had never entered your world. What, a, what an amazing thing. Without spot, without blemish, the lamb for our salvation, but the lamb for our perfection. And he's going to see it through. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful this morning that you didn't leave us to die in our sin. We're so thankful this morning that you made a way of salvation, that our sins could be forgiven. But Father, as saved people, we're thankful this morning that you're not going to leave us eternally to live with the effects and the consequences of our sin. We are so thankful that you will finish this work you've begun in us until we're just like Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor.